Hi, guys. How are y'all doing? Everybody groovy tonight? That's our word for tonight, groovy. Uh, we're going to enjoy time together. Um, yeah, anybody's parents used the word groovy before? Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Did, um, anybody use the word groovy like in the last, I don't know, 10 years? Okay, good. Well, excellent. I'm glad to, glad to know I'm not the only one. Um, and uh, so I know I'm not near as cool as I once was, but I'm as cool once as I ever was. Anyway, no, uh, so uh, y'all, it's good to see you tonight. Glad that we get to share in this evening while we get to, we get to uh, partake of communion this evening. And it's, it's so fitting uh, for what we're talking about tonight, uh, just because we're talking about what we're defined by. And, uh, and so we're definitely not defined by failure by any means. And Aaron lets you know that earlier that, that man, we're defined by ter- perseverance. And, uh, you know, I, um, you know, just the other day I was talking with my daughters and we were, we were having lunch at Whataburger. And uh, as we're sitting there, I know some of you guys love Whataburger, spicy ketchup, yay. Um, it was, it, we were sitting there at Whataburger and we're eating lunch and we're talking about grades. And uh, I know every, every child's favorite thing to talk with their parents about, right? And, uh, and so, but we were having this wonderful conversation and it was so great. And uh, we were just kind of, and I was just kind of telling them my philosophy of grades whenever I was their age and kind of moving into college. And then when I was a far better student married than I was before in my master's degree and everything. And so it was just, it was just this wonderful conversation. And we were just kind of talking about what their, kind of what their expectation is as far as their grades are concerned. And uh, kind of what is good, what is great, what is in between. So, so kind of where were you growing up? Or maybe where are you today? And you think about grades. What is the definition of an okay grade? What's an okay grade in your mind? Is it a C? Is it a B or a B plus? Is okay to you like an A minus? Maybe okay to you is an A plus. If you don't get 100, it's not okay. All right, now, I don't know where you are, but so, so what's the definition of okay? Okay, so, so you've got that in your brain. Now, for you, what is the definition of a good grade? What's a good grade in your mind? Is it above average, a C? Did you know that that's the definition of a C, above average? Is it good, a B? Is good an A? When you start thinking through your mind, what's, what's kind of where that plays out for you? Or let's get to great now. What is the definition of a great grade? Passing? Passing is great? Is a C? Is a B? Is an A? A plus? A hundred? What's the definition of great? You know, it's, it's pretty wild how our viewpoint of how grades kind of play out in our lives, we can tell a lot by that, can't we? We can tell a lot because it kind of goes on to what our performance is in our professional life later on down the road, what we expect of ourselves. Are we looking at minimum standards, just kind of getting by whatever the bare minimum is of what your job responsibilities are? Or is it to exceed expectation? Is it to, if you don't get things just right, then it's failure in your mind? What's, the, what's kind of the way that plays out? And so, you know, it, it, it carries along. And so my question is, when you were younger, or maybe today, if you are younger and you're in this room, you can define what younger means uh, for yourself. And, uh, and so what does an F mean? Yeah, it means failure, right? But what does that mean for you? Is this just devastation? Is this, and what happens when you failed 
at some point in your life, did you hide your report card from your parents? Did you try to make sure that they didn't get those grades so that they wouldn't know perhaps maybe what was going on? Or, or like, how did you handle it? Did you blame the teacher for your F? Yeah, yeah right? Blame the dang teacher. It's the teacher's fault. <laughs> Our educators in the room are like, Cook, you're going to have to quit this mess, man. Okay, that's, that's enough. That's enough of that. I know, I know it's the end of the year. How can we be talking about grades? You're all grading and everything right now. Sorry, guys. But, um, but here, yeah, I mean, or, you know, did you take ownership of it? When that F happened, you thought, man, you know what? Yeah, I didn't study. I didn't go to class. I didn't study. I didn't do the things I was supposed to do. And I got what I deserved. You just take ownership for it. And you see how that plays out later on in life, right? You don't do your job. You have to have a performance review, and next thing you know, you're on a performance improvement plan and all that kind of stuff. And why does that? Is it, is it your coworker's fault that you didn't perform? Is it your boss's fault that you didn't perform? Is it your fault that you didn't perform? It kind of all plays out that way. Bottom line is, every single one of us in this room has failed at some point in our life. And the way that we handle that failure says a lot about us, doesn't it? It says a whole lot about us and what's kind of going on in our lives and the way that we, we feel this. Um, it, I don't know, the way we think it should go, perhaps. You know, recently, I've, I've taken on this project at my house. And the project that I've taken on is I'm building this little bitty tiny house at my, at my home. So it's this neat little, little tiny house. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I've gotten to go through like all the different trades, uh, kind of working it out. And, uh, and in, in building this thing, my family can tell you how I feel about failure. Uh, and anybody knows that you've ever done anything in construction, failure is a part of the process. I mean, there's, a, there's, there's these things that you're gonna be behind schedule. There's things you're gonna be ahead of schedule. There's things that you're gonna get right. There's things you're gonna think you got right and you got them completely wrong. And, uh, and man, this, it's, it's a wild thing though, because when we experience failure in our lives, isn't it remarkable how personal failure is? I failed at this, you know, I don't know, cutting a hole in the wall that where it's like an outlet is supposed to be. And therefore that makes me a failure in life. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the craziest thing. I'm like, man, dadgummit, I missed it by like half an inch. Well, that figures because I'm just a failure. And we tend to personalize these things, right? We tend to get all over ourselves. Y'all, that's not what God had in mind. That's not what God has in mind for any single one of us. The enemy wants us to believe in our hearts when we fail that we are failures. And that is not what God intends for any of us. You know, we've been in this series called Fail Forward, and this has been a really pretty cool series if I do say so myself. But uh, it's, it's been a really great series of just this difference between the false self and the true self. Which self are we feeding? Are we feeding this false self? Or are we feeding this true self? We're desiring to discover the true self, the one that God imagined into being when he jump-started our hearts as he was knitting us together inside our mother's wombs. It started way back then. We began this series with a Richard Rohr quote. And I think this is an important one for us to kind of put back out there. The true self is what religion often calls the soul. It's your eternal essence. The false self is the persona you create for yourself. It's the man-made persona. 
The crazy thing is the man-made persona can really be motivated by a lot of good, but it's still the false self. We're still driving down a path to destruction, even if everything we're trying to create about ourselves looks a lot like Jesus. It's still not us. We gotta discover the true self. And so tonight we're gonna continue with the truth that failure, it's totally an option, but failure does not define the Christ follower's life. You know what does? Perseverance. That's what defines the Christ follower's life because every single one of us in this room, we've failed at some point or another in our life and we will fail at some point or another in our life again. But it doesn't define us. That failure does not define who we are. Perseverance defines who we are. Allowing God to move us through whatever that failure is to get to the other side, to where the true self is what's being magnified and Jesus in the true self is what's being magnified. And then the Lord is able then to say, okay, so now here's another thing for you to work on. Let's open up this new area of your life for you to see how you can become even more of who I created you to be. This is that journey. And so you can see how important it is for failure to not define yours and my lives as Christ followers, but rather the perseverance, to persevere being what defined us. See, failure has been around from the very beginning, all the way back to Adam and Eve. All the way back, right? You remember what happened with Adam and Eve and the story of sin, the first sin on planet Earth? You remember this story? Yeah, after they had done wrong, what did they end up doing? Yeah, they did the very first cover-up in human history, literally covering up right? Yeah, they, they did the very first covering up. And then you want to know what else they did? They ran and hid. They separated themselves from God. This is what, what oftentimes happens. There's failure, cover up. They ran and hid from God and others. Well, they were the onlys, but anyway. And then they blamed another for their failure. It was that dadgum serpent's fault. Adam, it was her fault. Weak sucker. You know, we still do these things every now and then, don't we? We still do these things every now and then. Sometimes we try to fix it ourselves. You know, we kind of create that false self all over again. And we try to, try to kind of square everything away. Or maybe it looks a little bit more like a cover-up. Where there's not the ownership of what's happening, we just try to kind of sweep it under the rug and kind of cover it up and hope it goes away. We kind of follow their lead. Sometimes we, we run and hide, don't we? It's crazy. You know, somebody kind of has a moral failure or somebody has a, you know, some other kind of failure. They're not feeling good about themselves or feeling distant from the Lord. What happens? They're not a part of the church for a little while. And you know, separation never never leads a person to be feeling all warm and fuzzy inside, feeling all connected. No, separation causes separation. It causes disconnection. And that's what happens. Separation never takes anyone anywhere positive. And then there's another thing we do. Man, golly, how many times do we blame other people? How many times? We say, man, you know what? I did that, but if they wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done it. Blame other people. You know, D. Michael Lindsay, he, he, he's got this quote. Let's read this. It's human nature to dwell on our mistakes and wonder what others think. 
We gravitate towards insecurity, believing everyone knows about our, future, our failure. But more often than not, only a few people, if any, really even notice. If you let the failure get you down and stay in that pit, you rob yourself of potential growth. The past isn't your future. It doesn't define who you are or what the rest of your life will look like. What matters is what you do after you fail and how you move on. What matters is what you do after you fail and how you move on. So here it is. When you sense your brokenness, right? You sense this failure. Your first move should be to avoid denial, to own it, and avoid self-reliance. This whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps, this whole, hey, I got this thing, I don't need anybody, worst thing you can do. Worst thing you can do in the moment where you're sensing brokenness and you're sensing failure, you're sensing you've messed up. Yes, we take ownership, absolutely. Gotta avoid denial and we gotta avoid self-reliance because you know what happens when we deny or when we rely on self. Which self are we feeding in that moment? The false self. We're not feeding the true self in that moment. We've got to make sure that we fight these things. It's an important piece of the puzzle. Now, I'm about to say something that's going to surprise some of you in this room. And so let's just take, for example, right? Let's just say you're here on a Sunday evening and we're talking about loving your neighbor well. You're taking, um, you've, you're, you're realizing in that moment, you've not been loving your neighbor well. In fact, Maybe quite the opposite. You can't stand your neighbor and you've been making their life miserable. But yet you come to church and God captures your heart and you respond this way. I have to do that better. Can I encourage you to not respond that way? Can I encourage you to not respond this way? This goes against conventional wisdom, doesn't it? Because everybody in this room, if you're a true American, this is kind of the phrase. We failed, I've got to do that better. I got to do better than that. I want to encourage you to do something a little bit different. We want to grieve our failure, absolutely. We always take ownership of, we always admit, we always confess, we always ask forgiveness, we always do these things, yes. It's so important we can sit in and grieve our failures, but it's also important that we persevere through the failure. And so our first reaction to the feeling of failure instead is God. Do you see the difference? What's the first thing? The last one was I. This one is God. God, show me your love and help me show it to my neighbors. Rather than I gotta do better than that. It's, it's, you know what, Lord, I can't do this in my own power. And you can put this in any failure you've ever experienced. God, show me. Show me where the failure came from. God, show me what, what preceded the failure. God, show me you where you are in that. God, show me what you want. God, show me and then help me show it. Show me what to do in my office when my boss is being a jerk and help me. God, show me how you feel about my boss and help me feel that way about my boss. God, I can't stand that teacher. 
I'm back on teachers, sorry, y'all. God, I can't stand that teacher, but God, show me how you feel about that teacher and show it, help me show it to my teacher. Don't let me self-destruct by not getting the grades just because I can't stand the teacher. I'm not pointing, you know, it's show me and help me show it. Yeah, we grieve those failures. We've also got to persevere. We've got to let God be the one that illuminates the true self in us that is God-motivated rather than the false self that is me-motivated. There's a big difference between these things. And so, so, so here we are. We're, we're grieving these things. You know, the Marvel Universe character, Vision, right? Oh, man, there's so many new characters in Marvel. Anyway, Vision, right, declares this, says, what is grief if not love persevering. Isn't that true when we fail and there's this moment of grief and we are just broken over that? Why are we broken over that? Oftentimes it's because love is present. We're broken because we injured somebody we love deeply. We're broken because we, you know, injured ourselves deeply. We're broken because we whatever, but there is this there's this grief that's there. We've, we're broken because we've, we're, we're, we've injured the Lord. We've injured Jesus. We're not representing Jesus. And, and so therefore, that grief is there because love is the thing that's pulling us through. And so there is God all over again, pulling you to himself and helping you fail forward as he draws himself to you. So what is grief? When we grieve, now just don't let it turn to shame, right? But when we grieve, we are we are experiencing the persevering nature of love. And so we grieve because we love. And that love comes from God who loves us and perseveres with us. Do you see the difference? The difference is rather than me, it's the Lord. And we just place everything in God's, God's hands. 1 John 4, 7 says these words, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's a great song. Learned it as a kid. Some of you guys maybe have learned that one as well. You know, we are to love God, the author of love, and we love God first and never give up failing towards God. And as we fail, we're, we're trusting that God's drawing us to himself, revealing our true self rather than us having to fall hard instead. See, failure reminds us we're finite, doesn't it? Doesn't it remind us that there's, there's limits to our existence here on this earth? But failure also reminds us of the infinite love that comes from God. And so we see that these failures, it's where failure is totally an option. But we got somebody who's changing us. We're not failures when we fail. We have somebody who's changing us and we get to depend on Jesus to save us from ourselves and to place us on the path that leads to righteousness and leads to healing and leads to goodness. Jesus is the one who tells us over and over and over again of the constant dependence that we need upon the Lord in order to live as a Christ follower on this earth. You know, the Gospel of John describes, okay, Jesus is, is helping us understand. Jesus himself is described, uh, describes himself as a vine, and we're the branches. We're connected to the Lord. And so John 15, 5 Yes, I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, 
you can do nothing. You try to go at it on your own, you'll do all right for a little while, but it's gonna end in destruction. You've lived this before. I mean, we understand that this, this, this word that when we remain connected to Jesus, when we remain connected to the vine, it means we don't leave Jesus. We don't go at it on our own. We stay connected to Jesus. It's an important piece of the puzzle there. Now, Jesus, in this moment, is speaking to the people who have already come to him. And so he's saying, hey, just remain in me. You remain in me, you bear much fruit. You don't remain in me, it's gonna be destruction. Your true self bears fruit. Your false self is always gonna leave you wanting. That's just the way this works. And so we see this intimate union that Jesus is saying, Jesus himself is saying that he doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He's like, no, I'm connected to God. You remain connected to me and I will connect you to God. And this is an important piece. This is why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody has relationship with God if it isn't through Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And so Jesus is kind of concluding these I am phrases. He started in John 14 with this one here. I am the vine, you are the branches. And so he's stressing this impossibility of producing fruit apart from him. And so we read in verse four, we kind of back up a verse, remain in me, and Jesus is saying this to you and me, as I also remain in you. Yeah, he's saying it to the first century Christ followers. He's also saying it still to this day to you and me, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, we can produce a lot of good stuff, can't we? But fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Goodness is in there too. Apart from Jesus, we, don't, we can't produce these things. We can try and we can, we can do a pretty good job being pretty creative. We can do a pretty good job of, of making good decisions. We can do a pretty good job of acting the right way. We can do a pretty good job of a lot of stuff on our own because God made us really, really talented and really amazing. And then in an audacious way, set us free to choose or to reject him, knowing full well that we feel like we're pretty dang talented and pretty smart. It's, it's just an important piece of the puzzle for us to, to understand just, yeah, we can produce all kinds of things. We can even produce converts. We can produce good deeds, prophecies, exorcisms, miracles. We can produce all kinds of stuff without God. It's really pretty amazing. And you know what? As good as all these things are, if it's being produced in our own, it's a false self thing, which is leading to destruction. And you guys have seen where people use really good things for others' destruction. It happens all the time. That's the false self. We just can't be guilty of this reality ourselves. The divine true self is dependent upon God's character, focusing on God over and above anything and everything. God's power, God's guidance in the life and work of Christ's followers is essential. And so when we follow Jesus' lead in seeking our true self, 
We watch that Jesus didn't speak or act for himself, and we see that. He spoke and acted only from God the Father, and that's what we want to do in following Jesus' way because we know we can't produce the fruit that God longs for us to produce by ourselves. We just can't manufacture it. And so will you hear these words today? I hope that you're kind of hearing it all across the board, but hear these words today. To be a Christ follower is to be under construction. Every single one of us is under construction. And so whereas the enemy would love for you to equate your failure with the fact that you are a failure, God is saying, no, no, no. You're working out your salvation. You're working out who you really are. Just remain in me. I'm gonna remain in you. You're gonna experience fruit as a result of that. To be a Christ follower is to be under construction. And man, if you've ever built anything, you know, failure is just a part of construction. There's weather delays, there's money delays, there's all kinds of stuff that happen. But we gotta keep going, right? And you keep going until the project is complete. And that's the same thing for us as believers. Things are going to go wrong, yes, it's not that we look and go, well, we're only human. No, that's false self-talk. That's false self. No, well, you know what? Nobody's perfect. That's just feeding the false self. That's not, that's not what we're doing. We're, we're talking about true self here. Yes, things will go wrong. Falling towards the, towards the Lord is our goal. That's our hope. There's no playbook for every single thing in life, is there? Scripture addresses every situation, yes. But as far as a playbook goes, it tells you everything to do in response to any and everything that will ever happen to you on this earth. There is no such thing as that. We turn to Scripture to see the overarching truth, to know and to hear the Spirit guide us as we make these decisions. We have to understand that whenever we experience failure, we gotta know who to look to. And if we're looking to ourselves to fix it, we're gonna fail even more. If we're looking to the Lord, we have a chance of experiencing fruit. We experience the fruit that comes from the Lord. And so in order to discover our true self, we gotta to look to the one that life is flowing from and knows the good plans that he has for us. And you know what we do? Then we keep going. We keep going until we've been made complete. And so, yes, I say it all over again. Failure is totally an option, yet failure doesn't define the Christ follower's life. Perseverance is. Perseverance tells the story of Jesus. Perseverance tells the story of life change. C.S. Lewis, I was reading this last week, this quote, amazing quote. As I was, I was, I was preparing for everything and then I get to this quote, it was in my, my Bible reading plan. I was like, oh my gosh, C.S. Lewis. Aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get neither. Think about that. You aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. You aim at earth, you get either. Aim at Jesus, you get the things of this world thrown in. You aim at the things of this world, you get neither. We wanna fail forward. As God is drawing us to himself, we fail forward, understanding more and more our true self, how God made us to be, and in so doing, we persevere. And so can we persevere together tonight? 
Can we persevere together? Here's a question for you, just as we kind of enter into this time of, of response here. Here's a question. What has you considering quitting this life work of following Jesus and giving it a go on your own? Is there anything in your head? Is there anything in your heart that you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know. Does anything have you considered quitting Jesus? Quitting church? Quitting this life that has you where you are right now? Is there anything in you? If that answer is no, I have a next question. If that answer is yes, that's what you get to spend some time with the Lord over. If the answer is no, where do you need to persevere? Because every one of us has situations that we need to push through. We need to look at the Lord and say, God, show me. If you're considering quitting, you're asking God, show me where you are in all of this. If you're in a position where you've got the situation you're dealing with and there's unrest in you, you get to say, Lord, where are you? Show me and lead me through. The way is the, the way, um, the way around or the way, or, or, or the way through is not around, right? We gotta go through in order to get where God longs for us to get because that's where maturity and completeness, not lacking anything, comes. And so where do you need to persevere? What has you considering quitting this life of following Jesus? Can we persevere together and can we fail forward towards the one that guarantees life? We find the true self there. Father, we, we need you and we love you. And Lord, we know that you've got us. We know that you are the life giver. We know that you are the one that, that defines who we are. And we know, Lord, you are the one that, that breathed life into us. And we know you're the one that imagined all of who we are into being as you knit us together in our mother's womb. Lord, I pray that right now you will help us. Lord, that there are areas that we, are, we, need, to, we need to persevere. We need to, as Christ followers, we need you to see us through to the other side. Still, there are others in this room that are trying to figure out, man, Lord, are you really the way to life? And all this sacrifice and love and true self and false self and everything is still confusing. Lord, will you show yourself and will you be the giver of life in their lives? Father, this night we are here. Lord, we long to remain in you. And Lord, we long to bear fruit. Will you show us who you made us to be? And Lord, we thank you that Jesus is the connector to you. We pray this through the saving name of Jesus, amen. We're gonna step into um, this time that we know as communion. Maybe you know this as the Lord's Supper. There's not a greater moment in time for us than on a night where we're reading that Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, I remain in you. Apart from me, you can't do anything. But with me, you'll bear much fruit. So what a perfect night for us to honor our Lord by remembering Jesus's death on a cross and proclaiming Jesus's death until the day that Christ Jesus returns here on this earth. 
We know Jesus didn't stay dead, but we know what Jesus did in order for you and me to be able to live the life that we live. And so tonight, for the first time in a very, very long time, we are going to get to take communion, and we're going to take communion together across the room as we pass the plates around the room. This is a really special tradition for the church. And so since we haven't done this in a long time, uh, I wanted to make sure that we kind of all remember and know how this goes. And so if you are a Christ follower, in just a few moments, we're gonna prepare the table and then we're going to begin to pass out the elements. If you've prayed to receive Jesus, we want to invite you to partake of the elements as they pass by and then you're just going to hold on to them until everyone has been served the meal. Once everyone has been served the meal, our elders will return to the table here uh, where the elements are, and then I will read scripture. And after I finish reading scripture, then we will all eat together. This is a symbol that we are all in this together. Nobody is more important than another, and nobody's going to eat more than somebody else, as was happening whenever the very first Lord's Supper was taking place. And so we are gonna do this all together. And we wanna make sure that everybody is partaking at the same time. Once we finish the bread, then we'll do the same thing with the cup. And as we pass the cup, if you'll just hold on to that cup, and whenever um, the elders return to the table, then we will read scripture, and then we will all partake of the cup at the same time. The bread is the body of Jesus. The cup is symbolic of the blood of Jesus. The bread is symbolic of the, the body of Jesus as well. And so as we partake of this, we want to remember what Jesus did for you and me. Now, as the elders are preparing the table, something is very important for you to do, and that is to spend some time with the Lord. One thing that is a danger of communion and a danger of the Lord's Supper is if you drink or eat in, a, in an unworthy manner, you are drinking and eating condemnation on yourself. And so it is very important that you spend some time with the Lord as we're preparing the elements to purify your heart, to ask for forgiveness, and to make yourself right with the Lord. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, this is a wonderful time for you to say, you know, I need Jesus in my life. Because please do not partake if you've not followed Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you're not in a position tonight and you have something against someone else in this room tonight, someone else within the body, I'm gonna ask you to take a little bit of a moment and just walk across the room and go make things right before you partake of the elements this evening. Again, this is something we do as the body of Christ and we wanna make sure that we do it in a way that is worthy um, and not drinking any shame or anything on ourselves in that moment. The enemy would love for you to do this. Please don't give the enemy that opportunity. And so that's how tonight's meal is going to go. And I just wanted to make sure we were all on the same page um, to, in order to receive the Lord's Supper and communion tonight. Elders, will you prepare the table, please?